butterfly researcher finds himself trapped in paradise, in Samoa to be exact. Despite his increasingly desperate efforts to get home to New Zealand, that's a set-up of a new novel called Both Feet in Paradise. Andy Southall won a New Zealand Society of Authors mentorship with award-winning writer Pip Adam to work on it. English-born Andy has already written several travelogues as well as several science fiction short stories. He reads from Both Feet in Paradise before talking about the ideas he's exploring in the book. As the car bounced again, I glanced through the window. The forest raced past greens of trees, a blur of red and yellow shrubs, the dazzling white track. How they worshipped colour on this island, from multicoloured buses to all the fruits and flowers on sale in the market, and how I'd miss the brightness when I arrived home, back in my own country where the sun hid away. The car jolted again, my head hitting the roof, then dropped and my stomach dropped too. I was sitting in a bronco with nothing to grab onto, the seat's too slippery, and there were no seat belts. Where's this track go? I peered ahead. Cousin lifted a big hand. No worries, I know where I'm going. I hope so. I tried to relax and failed. The track rose precipitously, a tongue of grit into green. No traffic, no houses, no people, only forest. We were lost in the haystack of the island, a needle in the middle of nowhere. Are you sure this is right? Sure. Really? I stared at the impossible gradient, ribboning endlessly up. Relax, Mr Butterfly. I've driven this road hundreds of times. It looks worse than it is. How much further? We're nearly there. You sure? Yes. Really? I looked for a clue of urbanisation, a building, a tarmac road, a road sign, a control tower. Then as I glanced at my watch, I felt a wave of panic. It was five o'clock, only an hour left. The track levelled, joined another track and expanded into a clearing. A wire fence ran around the perimeter, but there was nothing else. The place was all tussocks and weeds. As Cousin stopped the car at one end, I spotted a metal barrier and a tin hut. Where's this? I feared he'd kidnapped me. We're here! He switched off the engine swivelled around and smiled. This is where the aeroplanes land. Andy, first of all, of all the all the places in the world where you could have set your novel, why was it Samoa? It was mainly, I guess, what was happening in my life at the time and my wife Kate, because Kate's a teacher and she wanted to take a term out as what's called refreshment leave and to actually go and teach in one of the Pacific Islands. So we picked Samoa. Yeah, so we... We went there for three months, so and I was just starting out on the writing journey at the time, and I thought, well, this is a really good place to write a travel blog and post 400 words every day and try and build up my writing experience, and that's what I did when I was there, was writing these travel blogs, travelling around, seeing different places, and at the same time I wanted to write the novel, and I thought, well, this is a great place to set it, you know, and I'm going to have a lot of detail a lot of authentic detail, little things to put into it which will really bring it alive when when it's published and people read it. So that, that's kind of really why we chose Samar. So I got that sense that you really did know and love the place. Actually. Yeah, yeah, we grew into it. I mean, it, the word challenge is there. It's, it felt like a safe, good place to be and the people are very friendly. It was easy to get around and I think we covered a lot in terms of where we went to and just getting the overall feel of the place and 
the detail of the villages, the town, everything like that. But you were at the end of those three months. You were able to leave, of course, which is the scenario that we find with Adam. Yeah. As much as a paradise as, as Samoa is, he's feeling trapped. He's trapped there. Yeah. I'd got that idea in my head when we got there in terms of what I wanted to write about because I'm from a small place in the middle of England. The nearest coast is 100 miles away. So when I came to Wellington, OK, there was a sea here, but it wasn't a big deal. When I went to Salmar the first time, and I guess I'd seen the maps, and you look out and there's this long blue horizon that stretches forever. And, yeah, and you know that there's nothing out there. The nearest island, I think, is 100 kilometres away. The nearest big land is New Zealand, which is thousands of kilometres away. And it quite got to me in a way, and I was thinking... Yeah, if if there were no flights here, how would you leave? You know, would you get on one of these ferries in the one of these ocean-going ships in the harbour? That towards the end of our stay there, I don't know if you remember, there was that incident where the digger went into the pipeline supplying oil to Auckland Airport. So there were actually no flights for a few days, and I thought, oh yeah, so if we get trapped here, what would it be like? And so that's that's kind of where it all came from. And he really does want to get home, doesn't he? I mean, he's got a particular um, love for his daughter, Naomi, and she has a particular health situation. Yeah. So it's, it's not just that he's, he's wanting to get out of there. He feels that he needs to get out to see her. One thing I've sort of been thinking about is we don't actually see Adam, the normal Adam. The Adam we see at the beginning of the book is the panicky, desperate Adam. And a lot of this is because he's desperate to get to see his family and to see his youngest daughter, who is recovered from her illness, but she's still having some sort of convalescence and he's yeah really concerned about how she is. And then, of course, he has this horrible dream the night before he's due to leave or the night after he's supposed to have left in which he thinks that she's really ill. Um, so, yeah, it's really preying on his mind and along with all, all the other things going on, he's not in a good place at all. You've made him a butterfly researcher. Why so? I tried to pick something that someone could legitimately be in a place like Samoa um, and something that was not intrusive, something that would suit Adam's character because he's kind of an academic, he's a little bit unsociable, quite an awkward guy. I, I don't know any butterfly researchers, so they might be, I'm sure they're the nicest people on earth, but I thought that was a good kind of thing for him to be in and I felt the butterfly fits with the idea of trying to escape as well. One thing that I was rooting around in a bookcase the other day for Papillon, because I don't know if you remember, that's a book about escaping from an island and what's on the front cover? A butterfly. So it did fit very well with, with the theme of the book. I mean, a lot of the characters here are nice enough, but there's a sinister feeling to this because it's it's Adam's panic that we're all getting trapped in and we're seeing everything through his yeah. eyes as things go horribly wrong. Um, but tell me about his, his landlady, because she's a hoot. Yeah, she kind of evolved quite a lot, actually. I I think when I first put her into the book, I had actually hadn't got any Samoan landlady in mind. I was thinking of a kind of madame in France, a kind of Parisian, really matriarchal sort of in-charge lady behind the desk. And so her name, Madame Blanc, came along. But yeah, that, she kind of evolved from that. She was actually a much harder character to begin with, and... Part of the mentorship with Pip, Pip actually suggested that I soften her a bit, which is what happened. And obviously, yeah, as as we get further into the book, we actually discover she's not as sort of stern as she really comes across. She's actually quite a 
caring, concerned person. But just before we started recording, I was telling that I actually felt very tense reading the book, very stressed, because like you, I've travelled. Yeah. And the thought of my credit card's not working, the first situation that Adam's in, which is not even being able to get to the airport to get your flight, that's been very close to my experience. Uh, so I, f- I found my heart actually going quite hot thinking about how precarious the travelling life is. Uh, and I guess you've experienced some of these things too and just how terrifying it is. Miss your plane, lose your passport, can't pay. You are in such trouble. Yeah, yeah. I've never had it as bad as Adam, so I'm f- pleased to say. I'm quite a worrier, so I think a lot of the things that happen to him, when I do, I have travelled a lot, but I'm a kind of anxious traveller and I do worry about things like passports and credit cards. Uh, so I guess that's kind of going through my head, especially when I'm leaving a place, is that making sure I have got my passport and that's kind of where all that panic for Adam has come from. But yeah, I mean, he does go through a pretty rough time and what I wanted to do was to not for it all to happen in one go, but it's kind of happened one thing. So initially... He's late. You know, that's not a big deal in its own. A lot of people catch up and they get the flight. And he's in a relaxed country, so he'd expect if he gets to the airport 10 minutes before the flight's due, they'll probably rush him through. But then he doesn't go to the right airport. And then later in the story, he can't find his ticket to prove he had a flight at all. And then, as you say, it's compound. Yeah, it just it? gets worse and worse and worse. I think some of it culminates, without trying to give too much away, later on in the story where he's in a restaurant and he's just ordered this massive meal because he thinks he's going home the next day and his credit card doesn't work and then he discovers he's got hasn't got the cash to pay for it so there's this mortifying embarrassment that he's in a restaurant and he can't pay his bill um so i had a lot of fun with that scene and that that was a scene that pip actually helped me with a lot because i took it so far and she said you really take this through to the bitter end you know i want to wring every gruesome detail out of it which is what I tried to do so I think that yeah that's exactly what happens to Adam and not in a good place well let's talk about this mentorship with Pip Adam award-winning Pip Adam fantastic writer and this is a this is an opportunity that you got through the New Zealand Society of Authors did you choose each other were you matched was it like a blind date and because I can see some similarities in your writing that neither of you are straight straightforward narrative writers there is always several twists in the tale I think I would say with your writing yeah Yeah. the New Zealand Society of Authors they offer 13 mentorships every year and for new writers they are really good it's gold because you, you get 30 hours of a writer's time to take you through whatever you're doing and I don't think you can better that uh I applied for it I think that year there were 90 applicants I was really lucky to get one And you don't get matched up. What you do is that the person applying for it, me, you put down in all the three mentors you'd like to work with. And so I put Pip at the top of the list. I was very lucky that she accepted it. I'd heard all these commendations that she was a really good person to work with. So that was the main reason I chose, and not because I saw similarities in the writing, but because I thought she'd be an easy person to work with. And, and And she was. She was incredibly helpful. One thing I particularly remember was I met her in the cafe one day to talk about the latest chapter. And one of the films that I'd got in mind when I wrote the book was Mulholland Drive, because there's a 
without giving trying to give too much away, but there is quite a massive change of direction in that movie. And I mentioned that to Pip. I said, oh, I'd love to try and get that effect that there is in Mulholland Drive. And Pip straight away said, oh, you should read this article about David Lynch that she'd picked up. And we spent the rest of the hour talking about David Lynch's movies. So that was cool. Um, and I, I think the thing I got out of that was actually we like, well, the fact we like the same movies, but just our minds are in the same place. So, But yeah, she gave me a lot of valuable feedback. She gave me a different perspective on some things, which helped me. I mean, one thing that's in the book early on is there's a flash forward with Adam. So he's... He's missed his flight and he's thinking about what would have happened if he had arrived home. And that night he kind of dreams of himself arriving home and meeting his wife and two girls. And Pip kind of said I should develop that a bit and just he's actually looking at himself. And I, I thought that was kind of a good thing to put into the book. Gives you a kind of insight into what's going on in Adam's head. Both Feet in Paradise is written by Andy Southall and published by the Cuba Press.